Good evening and welcome to our evening uh, sermon stream here at Forest Heights Baptist Church. I have a couple of announcements before we pass it over to Pastor Mike. Um, if you do have any needs at this time, we still want you to reach out to our deacons. Um, if you're a member or if you're not and you're listening with us, please contact the church. Uh, speaking of contacting the church, we will have our secretary at the church out of the office uh, starting on June 3rd. So if you do need anything, please call the church or email us at info at fhbcathens.org. Uh, if you will, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, we just thank you for the time that we've got together. Uh, that I know it's not together in person, a lot of us. Uh, we're here uh, in all, all these different areas. But Father, we're so grateful and thankful uh, that we get the opportunity to still listen to the words, still hear it preached. Um, and Father, we're just, the, it's, it's wonderful to see everybody coming together um, virtually and over the phone, being in contact with everybody. Um, be with us as we listen to uh, Pastor Mike preach in First Thessalonians and uh, be with him as he preaches the word. In your son's name we pray, amen. It's good to be with each and every one of you, and that's listening, and that's uh, a part of this service. I just hope and pray that God will open our ears to His truth and His Word, and um, we hope that He'll be glorified through it all. So let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father, thank you for this wonderful time that we have in sharing your truth, and I just pray that you will anoint it in a very special way this this uh, session, this time, this teaching, this uh, moving forward through your word. And I just pray that you'll reveal to us what we need to hear and, Lord, what we need to see. And I pray that in doing so that we will not only see what we need to see and hear what we need to hear, but we will do what we need to do. And that your kingdom will be honored by it and you will be glorified through it all. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're coming to <clears throat> the passage that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And that's passage First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. And, and uh, in this uh, chapter we see that Paul and Silvanus and Timothy uh, said to the church of Thessalonians and, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now he's speaking to this church, his called out ones. And these are those that have been called out from the world, from, a, uh, from being dead uh, spiritually to being alive in Christ and, and for living for God's kingdom and his glory. He says this about them. We give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation 
with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. They're called out ones. They're also considered a pattern church, and this is very important because we're going to see what makes them a pattern church. Why did other people want to pattern themselves after them? Why were they such an example? Why were they such a model? We're going to look at some of those marks. We looked at them being transformed last week. And that's a necessity in the, in the sense that if we're going to be a pattern church, then we need to be transformed. We need to be different. We need to be uh, a model in the sense of being something that, that uh, brings forth the glory of God to others. We don't need to be drawing people to ourselves, but we do need to be drawing people to God. And by that, uh, we uh, are used by God for His kingdom work in reaching people not only uh, that are lost to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, but also to help others who are struggling in their walk or who are coming along in their, their growth in, in Christ to become more mature. And so... Some of the marks, as I said, the first one is, is being transformed. And not only were they transformed in the sense that old things had passed away, behold, all things had become new because they were new creations in Christ, but also because there was the renewing of their mind. In other words, uh, in Romans chapter 12 and in verse 2, uh, they were not allowing the world to conform them, it says, into their mode, but they were being transformed by the renewing of their mind. In other words, the renewing of their mind through the Word, allowing the Spirit of God to speak to them and change them, transform them, uh, so that they would know what the will of God is, that is, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And this is what they were being conformed to. And so they were conformed or transformed uh, individuals and also a community of, of transformation where the church was moving forward, becoming more Christ-like in all that it did and how it participated in the things of life. But the second thing, to be transformed, as I said, they, you know, all things had become new. In other words, they were a new creation in Christ. They had to be chosen. There had to be that electiveness. They were an elect church. It says, knowing brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. Now, here we come to a doctrine uh, that's in the Word of God that's not chosen, uh, no pun intended, not chosen to be spoken uh, about uh, that much because it's a very difficult doctrine to understand fully. 
Uh, you know, when we start talking about choosing, or uh, as some would call it, uh, election involved, uh, we are wading in some very deep theological waters. And the thing that disappoints me today is to hear people say, well, we don't need to talk that much about doctrine because we have some young Christians or we have some immature Christians that that just don't understand that and they don't need to be um, uh, you know uh, pushed or that doesn't need to be pushed upon them they just cannot grasp that and we need to talk about more uh, uh, practical things well that's very disappointing because you see this church was full of new converts And Paul did not shy away from mentioning this and talking about this. Now, he didn't have all the answers and he wasn't, uh, you know, afraid to announce that he didn't have all the answers. But he was honest with them and shared with them a truth that they needed to know and that they needed to understand. And so, if we are honest with ourselves we'd have to agree that, that there's a degree of, of mystery of, of God's sovereign choice and human responsibility that we just cannot explain. I mean, and probably never will be this side, uh, able to explain it this side of heaven. But here Paul mentions this to these believers who were new converts. They were young uh, believers in Christ. And it did not keep him from telling them about this or teaching them this. So uh, they were all, we talk about them being genuine Christians, authentic Christians. Maybe we need to start examining ourselves and saying, okay, if we're not going to teach doctrine and if we're not going to desire to try to understand it as much as possible, then maybe we need to look at our authenticity our genuineness and so Paul was sharing with them about this doctrine it didn't keep him from talking about it to these newly converted Thessalonians now they were genuine and because they were genuine they were transformed and and they were wanting to please the Lord and they were wanting to grow in Christ now some things probably that we need to know about this doctrine that maybe uh, we can't understand everything about it but we can grasp this uh, to a degree and that is we know that no one comes to Christ except the Father who sent Christ draws him we know that God then is involved in this method in this drawing without him we could not be saved we need to understand that we don't come to him on our own there is none the bible says that seeketh after god that means that nobody seeketh after god you've heard people say well you know i was on this long journey and i was seeking after god and i was doing this and doing that well yes in a sense but god was drawing them through this process so 
in John 15, 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. In Ephesians, in chapter 1, and in verses 4 through 8, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So our choice in him and we need to understand this and remember this. Our choice in him is rooted in his choice in us. We choose him in time because he chose us before time. Salvation originates with God, in other words. It, it, it was according to his good pleasure, it says. And we're saved according to God's good pleasure. It isn't anything in us that demands for God to, to choose us or to save us. He doesn't owe us anything. God is not in debt to us. It's, it's not our merit that, that causes him to save us. God is not under any obligation to save anyone. Some people act as though uh, he is, but he's not. He chooses us according to his grace. But that grace involves a response on our part. There's where we come in. He has allowed us a responsibility of responding positively to his drawing or not. We make that choice because God's choice of us has been made. But we should always give thanks, it says, to God for you brethren beloved by the Lord because God has chosen you from the beginning of salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in truth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. So there is a time when we as, as a believer put faith in the truth and believe in the gospel. We make that choice because of God's choice of us. Salvation is God's sovereign work. Now he begins it, he sustains it, and he finishes it. God has to make the first move for we are dead in trespasses and sins. There has to be a quickening by the Holy Spirit. There was a story that I heard about Lyndon B. Johnson. He was supposed to have been, and this is a story, I, you know, I don't know if it's true or not, but he was supposed to have been gathering some political heads together down in Texas. And the story has it that they went through cemeteries writing down names of dead people to put on ballots to, to vote. And they got to these dead people's names and, and they would write them down on, on the voting rolls. And while going through one cemetery, one guy passed one tombstone up. And LBJ noticed this and so he stopped the guy and he said, what are you doing? Passing that up and and he replied, well, the tombstone was covered with moss and dirt and everything else. And I just didn't uh, seem to uh, see the need to uncover it. And the story says that Johnson told him 
to uncover the tombstone and get the name for he has just as much right to vote as anyone else in the cemetery. Well, (laughs) that's a good story, whether true or not. But it illustrates something that's very important, very real. Dead people aren't able to vote. Dead people spiritually are not able to come to the Lord on their own. They just cannot respond on their own. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. So God has to make the first move. There is that convicting, that's moving of the Spirit of God. One author said, we cannot find God without God. We cannot reach God without God. We cannot satisfy God without God. (laughs) We can't do anything without God. Our seeking will always fall short unless God's grace first initiates the search. Unless God's call draws us. We start out searching, as someone said, but we end up being discovered. We think we are looking for someone, and we find out that we're found by someone. When we can't demand grace, that's when we understand that it can only be given by God. The choice of the gospel proves God's choice for them or for us. The elect or chosen ones receive the gospel into their lives. Now, how can we know that we're one of the chosen as Thessalonians were? Simple, by responding to God's grace. When he initiates it, when he convicts your heart, when he moves in your life, you respond by faith, allowing God's work to come into your life and create a new creation in you. And also, another way that we can tell, of course, is the fruit that we produce. The way that we live, which we're looking at Thessalonians, the way that they were living. Let's us know that we've received the gospel. Those whom God chooses, God changes. So, there is evidence of God's transforming work in a believer's life. Barnhouse, I think it was Barnhouse, depicts it this way. He says, picture a big cross with a door on it. On the front of the door is written, whosoever will may come. And those re- words represent, uh, you know, that every person is invited to receive the gospel. To come to the cross and receive forgiveness and eternal life. But once you enter through the doors after you received it, then you turn and you look upon the cross And on the inside, it says, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Well, how do we know that we're one of God's chosen? You come to God in faith. And that's why it's so very important when people are introduced to the gospel and they hear the word and a light goes off and they say, okay, I hear that Jesus is the Savior of the world to forgive me of my sins. I cannot save myself. Then it's important to start responding in faith at that time. Because with each time that you reject, each time you harden your heart. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never, ever, and that's a double negative, cast you out. 
He's letting you know that, hey, once you come, you have eternal life. You're one of God's chosen. So we have a church that's been transformed and a church that is elect. And, and then we have another mark here that we're going to look at tonight. And then we'll close with this. And that is the um, exemplary church. They were a model, an example, a pattern church. And this is so very important. You said, well, you've already said that. Yeah, but I want, I want to share something with you. They were imitators of those who believed. And they became imitation for others to believe in Christ. They saw Christ in Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And they wanted this Christ and they accepted this Christ. And now those who they were imitating, they were becoming like with the Christ-like characteristics. And other people were seeing that throughout the region. And they were wanting to come to know the Lord. And many did. And so the word imitator literally means mimic. And they became examples to others. And so a real church should be uh, worthy of others following them. Now, are people wanting and desiring to follow us? And if so, for what reasons? Do they see characteristics of Christ? Or are they looking at outward things that they want to implement just in their church? Are they seeing inward things that are producing those outward things that they want to imitate in their lives? We should be examples for others to look at. I mean, when people look at our marriages, our marriages should be different from the world's. They should be husband and wife who are working through difficulties and problems, who are talking, who are communicating, who are loving, who are submitting, who are giving and taking, who are working together not always agreeing on everything, and who are submitting to the roles and acknowledging the roles and accepting the roles there and moving forward in a Christ-like way. Trying to be obedient to the Lord through all of that. Instead of being like a, a, a family or a, a couple in the world who doesn't care to work out anything. If things start getting tough, then okay. We'll take them to court and get as much out of it and, and leave them instead of trying to work things out. Families and children, raising children the way that they should be raised in the sense of, uh, you know, sometimes it may not be involving them in all these other activities just to keep them busy, but it may be spending time, quality time with them where Apart from all of that, maybe involving them in some activities, maybe limiting them to certain activities during the year where you can, okay, you can play in this or you can participate in this, but you can't be active all year long where we don't have time together and we don't spend time together. You know, it's, quality time doesn't necessarily mean that you're at a ball game watching a kid play or, or perform on the field or whatever. That may not be quality time. 
Oh, you may be there in support of them, and that's good, and that's wonderful. But quality time may be saying, hey, we're going to get away. We're going to set this time out. There's not going to be any TV. There's not going to be any phones. There's not going to be any iPads. There's not going to be anything. We're going to sit down, and we're just going to spend some time together. I want to hear about your day. I want to hear about what's going on. I want to feel what you're feeling. I want to offer you suggestions and guidances and directions and, and, and try and help you to avoid certain pitfalls that, and pitholes that, that other people have fallen in, maybe myself even. I want us to study about the Lord. I want us to understand what He says. I want you to understand that I'm not a perfect parent, but I love you and I want you to understand that I'm not expecting you to be perfect, but I want you to be growing in Christ. I want to keep you from as many hurts as possible and to be strong in your walk where you can stand on your own two feet in Christ and be able to defend yourself and fend yourself against any enemy out there. And then it works. Are people talking about us in the sense that, boy, they're a good worker. They put in their time. They do this. They do that. They go beyond and above and beyond. And, and, and they, they want to do a, a excellent work. And, and I can't understand how they react to, uh, to certain situations with other people. I, just, I would be getting upset. I would be uh, getting mad. And then when they need to confront something and they need to confront something wrong, they're firm enough at certain times at where they should be. It's amazing. I want to be like them. And in our activities, being Christ-like in those. They should be able to look at us as an example. Sam Levinson, a comedian, talks about his mother being overprotective when he was growing up. And he relates one story and he tells how uh, she was so overprotective with him that when he went to school for the first time, the first day, she wasn't going to leave until she sat down and talked with the teacher. And she wanted the teacher to understand something very important about her son. And he said it was very embarrassing. And she sat down with the teacher and she said, if my son is disobedient, said, I want you to punish the child next to him. Teacher asked, wait a minute, what, what do you mean? If your child is disobedient, then punish the child next to him. Why should I do that? And the mother's reply was, because my son learns by example. Well, that is how we all really learn, isn't it? By example. Examples are instructive. They're inspiring or should be inspiring to us. That's why it's good to sit down as Christians and read biographies about past Christians, committed Christians, Christian giants who we can learn from in their lives and see areas in our own life that need correcting or need strengthening. 
uh, you know, let it, let it uh, come forth from those books and, and uh, see, hey, man, you know, that's what I want to be. I want to be more of a prayer warrior. I want to be more of a witness. I want to be more of this. I want to be more of that. And see how they were able to do this. Remember, this church in Thessalonica is not more than a year old. And Paul is saying this about them. You became an example to all believers in Macedonia, northern Greece, and Achaia, southern Greece. They had become a shining example to others. The imitators have now become the imitated. They followed Paul and, and Silas and Timothy and who followed Christ, and they saw Christ in them. And now others were following them because they saw Christ in them. That should be true of any church, any individual. Is there anyone looking to our lives as an example? Anyone looking to our marriage as an example? Our families, rearing our, of our children, our vocations and how we handle and work at them. Maybe it is with your witness or with your discipleship that people are looking to you at. Maybe it's, uh, you know, with your, your giving, your caring. As a church, are there other churches that would like to be like our church? Are we patterning ourselves after them? Now, if we are, what are they patterning themselves after? Just something outward? That won't cut it. Well, I want to get that program in because, man, I can see where it helped them grow in numbers. No, no, no. Or help them with baptisms or whatever. No. I want to learn about what made that happen. I see a difference in them. I see a a desire for lost people in, in so many of their lives and they just want to see lost people come to know the Lord. I see them being caring towards other individuals and, and wanting to bring those under their wing and disciple them so that they can become more uh, you know, mature and, and they can stand on their own two feet and they can teach others and, and it can be uh, uh, repetitive. It, it can be duplicated. It can be passed on and and, and this is their desire. This is what I want. This is what I see. What are they patterning themselves after? If they see a church that they want to be like. Is it the big buildings? Offerings? Those are fine. Or is it what is working in individual lives. Billy Graham, there's a story about him back in the 60s, early 70s. He was going to hold a crusade in California. And there was a preacher that said, I believe Billy Graham and what he's doing is going to put the church back 50 years if we allow him to come, if he continues to do these things. After the crusade, he was asked about this critic and what this critic had said about him and his crusade and usually he at that time he he did not reply to his critics comments that much but this time he did and when they asked him how he felt about putting the church back 50 years his reply was 
Well, I guess I failed. For I was hoping to put the church back some 2,000 years. In other words, not to be old-fashioned. Not to be narrow-minded and narrow-visioned. But to be an imitator like they were of Christ. We should want what, was, what the early church had. And what they were doing. And how they were living. They were people of faith. They were believers in Christ. Walking in faith. Perfect? No. But striving to be what Christ would have them to be? Yes. They had a hope. A hope of a, of, of a future with the Lord. Eternal hope. A hope that could not be shaken. No matter what tribulation, trouble, problems came their way. And they had a love. A love that stood the ground. A love that was manifested when all else was falling apart around them. And they felt rejected by many and they felt persecuted by others and, and they were hurt by uh, some, there was a love that went out. A love that continued. A love that was sacrificial. A love that was Christ-like. We want what others found in Christ in the early church to be found in us. Or we should. May that be what we seek after. To be that kind of example. To be those who are imitating believers, committed believers, those who have gone on to be with the Lord that were giants in the faith, that showed forth Christ and his characteristics in their lives. And now we become imitation. Those that want to imitate us. Those that want to be like us. That's what we should want. Is that our desire? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for your love and your grace. And God, help us to be like this church at Thessalonica. A church that was transformed. We, you have to be transformed. A church that was to be transformed, you've got to be chosen. You've got to be one of God's people. There's got to be that drawing by God and that surrendering our lives to, to the Lord and, and that forgiveness of sin and that following Him and through love and appreciation and commitment. Being, trying to be imitators of Christ and then becoming that which others want to imitate. Because they see that Christ-likeness in us. Help us to be individuals and a community of believers that are that. A pattern church to go live by. A pattern individual to follow, to imitate. In Jesus' name, amen.